How do you pay, man? Huh? If you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. Well, all right. Yeah. ten grand to me. Yeah. You know, ever since I turned pro in 1989, when I signed the dotted line, it was strange. Things change for the better and for the worse. So I called my mama and she said, baby. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode number seven. That's right. We've made it through seven of these, provided we get through this one, of the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. My name is Neil Rule, local sports broadcaster here in the Detroit area. Follow me on Twitter, at Neil Rule, N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L. The man to my right, the man that makes his whole thing go because he understands all this stuff. I don't. He is Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group and of Pivotal Sports Management. Follow him on Twitter at Cameron underscore Cameron underscore J Evans. Correct. I got Cameron it right. underscore J underscore Evans. Evans. There we go. I knew I, I shortchanged you one underscore. My apologies. But see, it'll stick with the people more now. So that that was you know, that was good. Some subliminal uh, subliminal pushing of your Twitter account, though. Cam, good to have you back here. Good to be back here on the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. All you gotta do go on SoundCloud or iTunes, search Straight Cash Homie, click subscribe, and you are in there. That's Homie H M O I E. But Cam, the NFL went ahead and did us a favor as we go to press here on on a Friday afternoon and you and I were kicking it back and forth all week what day are we going to get together what are we going to discuss all that kind of stuff and last week Cam I said hey you know I think the Zeke Elliott stuff that we got into in episode number six and you go back through the history and, and give it a listen the NFL went and did us a favor and got it got a, a reversal of the ruling of the stay I guess you would say that Zeke Elliott could play while he appeals his suspension the NFL got an overruling of that and now Zeke Elliott is suspended Explain this to everybody in plain English, namely me, Cam, because I don't get it. So it's great to be back, as you said, for episode seven. So, uh, yeah, so on Thursday, October 12th, the uh, Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals uh, overturned the judge's injunction uh, that was issued out of a federal trial court in Texas. Um, And they didn't get to the the merits of the appeal. Um, What they said, in essence, was that the uh, district court didn't have a jurisdiction to even hear the case. Um, and that the NFLPA and Elliott, and, you know, they had a false start. They started the process I, I see too what you, soon. I see what you did there. Yeah. I like it. And uh, because it, 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 this is all about home court advantage. And the NFL wants to be in federal court in New York City. Um, that is their home turf. And that's where they have a very, very good ruling from the Court of Appeals that oversees that jurisdiction from the Brady case. And the NFLPA, being very smart and strategic, wanted to avoid that court at all, without, you know, to the extent possible. So they filed early down in Texas before the arbitrator issued his ruling upholding the six-game suspension for Zeke. And the Court of Appeals said, you can't do that. You have to wait until the ball is snapped. And here the ball isn't snapped until the arbitrator issues his ruling. And because you did that, court didn't have any jurisdiction to hear it and have authority to hear it and they ordered the trial court in texas to dismiss the case and that means that they're going to uh, unless they get a in a different ruling as they continue to further appeal it up the court of appeals change what they can do is that they're going to be stuck in federal court in new york where there's already a pending lawsuit filed by the nfl trying to enforce the Henderson Arbitration Award given Zeke a uh, six-day or affirming Goodell's six-game six suspension. So my question to you then, Cam, is 
I would assume Zeke Elliott's attorneys are, are good attorneys. Uh, they are guys that, that knew that this could be a possibility or possibly not. They had, uh, they had to suspect I would say, this, right? Yeah, no, I would say that, uh, you know, the individual that represents the NFL PA in this um, is an, not a good attorney. He's an exceptional attorney. You right. get exceptional attorneys on both sides here. And so it's high dollars, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, 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 but you had to sit there and say, you know, um, we, if we give it a shot, we could lose, all right? Or we could win. And this maybe, if, if it was accepted by the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals as being an appropriate way to do it, it would all of a sudden start to give leverage. You know, you kind of think of it's kind of like a defensive back, you know? Yeah, I'm not supposed to grab somebody or push them while the ball's in the air. Yeah, but if I can get away with it, it's only a penalty if a ref throws a flag. Sure. And here it's only going to be deemed as an inappropriate way to uh, proceed if you lose in court and that means you get your day in court and you get to argue it and they won once this issue was argued to the trial court trial court agreed with the nflpa that it had jurisdiction and could rule on the injunction request and ultimately on their challenge to the merits of the suspension and you had one judge it was a two-to-one decision in the court of appeals so you know, they, were, they were a bit hung up. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you look at it right now, you've had four federal judges take a look at this issue of whether or not they could file before the arbitrator issued his ruling. And you got a 2-2 split. You got a trial court judge that said they could, and you got one judge on the Court of Appeals that said you could, and you got two in the Court of Appeals that said you can't. And, you but know, you just didn't happen to win the last one. That's right. <laughs> you lost in the 2-1 to one in the Court of Appeals right now. Yeah, yeah you, you lost the last one. So, so that is where it stands. So yeah, as, as we found out, Zeke Elliott now will be suspended for six games. And, and look, there's never a good time to be suspended for six games. And, and if this would have went down at the beginning of the year, you and I would have sat there and talked about, well, this is pivotal. It's a 16-game season, the first six games. But for the Dallas Cowboys as a team, there's never a good time to, to lose the NFL rushing leader from last season, but especially now because you're at a point in the season where you're going to dictate what your fortunes are. You, I, I equate it to the Kentucky Derby, the first half mile of the Kentucky Derby. That's where the first half of the NFL season is. Everybody gets out of the gate. There's always a couple teams that don't quite make it out of the gate. And usually the Cleveland Browns and somebody else. Um, this this case, it's the New York Giants. But you lose a couple at the gate, then you lose a couple at the quarter pole, and then at that half mark, that is where you begin to separate. And the Cowboys are right there in that threshold right now where they're still in contention as we've gotten to the half pole, but now they're going to be missing the NFL's leading rusher. So is this something where, Cam, maybe they would have been better off if – if Zeke's people would have just said, you know what, we'll take it, we'll take the six games, and, and we'll move on. I guess the question I'm asking you, does this hurt the Dallas Cowboys more today than it would have before? Because we would be talking about how Zeke Elliott's getting ready to come back if, if they would have just taken the suspension. And missed the first six games. And he and just because they said the Texas court didn't have jurisdiction, the NFLPA and Zeke, um, they may challenge this up th through the Court of Appeal system more down in the Fifth Circuit, but they can and they will raise this issue in federal court in New York and say, Judge, you do have jurisdiction, and we want you to do exactly what the judge down in Texas did, which is the right thing. Give, give an injunction until you make an ultimate ruling on the merits of the case and allow Zeke to continue to play. Now, what that does is that it gives you the uncertainty as to if you get that injunction as to when is the judge going to issue his or her opinion 
on the ultimate merits of the case and then maybe trigger the effectiveness of the suspension. Um, and this is broader than Zeke. This is, you know, the union has a big issue about how these arbitrations are being handled and conducted, especially on the um, personal conduct policy um, and how that has played out over time. And so this was a union issue as well. And so the union was, I have no doubt, strongly support encouraging Zeke to go along. But this is ultimately the, the, the union files the grievance, not the individual. So the union gets a call as to what, what's going to happen. And Zeke's came along as a ride. But, yeah, he could have served the six games up front. You missed weeks one through seven for them, in essence. They got, the a, buy, they got right. a buy coming up. Um, you run the – you know, they won. I know I said this. Hey, hey, they think they won with an injunction. But what happens if in week – 12 or week 11 of the NFL season, the judge that issued the injunction rules on the merits and says injunction is set aside, I've ruled on the merits, and the suspension is good. And now all of a sudden at week 11 of the season, you get a six-game suspension, which could, if they're in the playoffs, carry, carry over. over the playoffs. And it also has impacts not only on the Cowboys – which they can sit there and, and, and do it and they control it, it has impact on other teams because as, as one wise sports person said, it's not who you play. It's when you play them. When you play them. So now you look at people who are going to play the Cowboys, and although he's, Zeke's not off to a great start, nothing like he did as a rookie, you're looking that if this is upheld and all of a sudden he is out through Thanksgiving Day game, whoever their opponents are during that point in time, have an advantage, you would think, because they're not having Zeke in the backfield. Sure. As opposed to who had to play them in the first five weeks of the season, may, you know, didn't have that advantage of not having Zeke in the backfield. So there's, there's a lot that goes in, into it. And you go and you get into the court system, it's just inherent to have an uncertainty. And there is plenty of uncertainty here to go around. Right, and the Dallas Cowboys currently sitting at 2-3 and three right now. So... As I said, they are in the mix, but they can't afford a, a whole lot more slip-ups. And as it stands right now, they won't have the NFL's leading rusher from last season. You and I, in our world-famous pre-production meetings, I mean, these things, there are studies that are done on these things. Organizations ask us to come speak to them uh, about the organization of our pre-production meetings and what goes into it and the high level of achievement that goes on with these things. And, and you brought up an interesting dynamic to me. The Tom Brady versus Zeke Elliott versus, I guess the standard now is what happened, the, the precedent in, in your world, in, in the legal world. The precedent is what happened to Tom Brady. That certainly plays a part in this as well, does it not? Well, yes, and this all goes over the fight of, you know, where's the home field going to be? Is it going to be Texas or New York? Because a federal trial court in, in New York is bound to foul the Court of Appeals decision in the Brady case, um, which had incredible deferential language to Goodell and the power and what the collective bargaining agreement allows him to do and address the key issue that's, a, that, that's the issue in the Zeke case too, and that's the fundamental unfairness argument. And that you know, the argument it goes, this was so fundamentally unfair, you have to throw it out and go back to, you know, you know, to the, to the kickoff and start over again. Um, and, you know, the Second Circuit uh, ruled in, in the Brady case that there wasn't fundamental unfairness 
uh, although he was excluded uh, from obtaining certain evidence and from, and from calling certain witnesses by the arbitrator. And they said, oh, you know, it's, it's not really that important. It doesn't go to the heart of the case. It's just kind of collateral. Um, and so you have this precedent out there that the, the not only the trial court in New York has to follow, but on appeal, the Second Circuit itself has to follow. Sure. And so now the NFLPA, instead of writing on a clean slate or trying to write on a clean slate, has to deal with a very difficult hurdle to overcome and try to factually say the Zeke case is fundamentally different than the Brady case. And, and, and they get some arguments because here, you know, the accuser is at the heart of the matter. Um, and that's according to the NFLPA's position and that they should have had a right to have the arbitrator um, compel her to testify, issue a subpoena to her to, well, they actually wanted to issue the NFL the subpoena to make her show up um, so that she could be cross-examined. Um, and Goodell himself, uh, when there was evidence that he didn't get all of the opinions from his team in making the decision. Um, so th there's arguments here that they could say that, you know, this case is different and you shouldn't follow the ultimate outcome in Brady. But they're far better off with in, 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 in Texas where you didn't have to worry that Brady or have a judge say, hold on, the Brady case, I have to follow it. Where in Texas they can say I don't have to follow it. That wasn't. I here. may choose to follow it, yeah. but I'm not. I don't. I'm not bound to follow it because it wasn't here. Right. And that's uh, you know why they want to go and fight things. So home field advantage, not only on the field but off the field, just as pivotal uh, as it always has been. Which leads me to my next question to you, Cam, because with the NFL, and this is something just from monitoring social media and talking to sports fans around the area. This whole personal conduct policy effectively was pulled out of thin air by the NFL. This was never negotiated, right? Correct. This was never agreed upon by parties. This was just kind of thought up one day and implemented the next day. And what's glorious about this for the NFL, I mean, imagine if you didn't have to follow rules, legal rules in your practice, or or, anything, or if I didn't have to follow rules when, when I was broadcasting games, I could just do what I wanted and just said, oh, that's policy now. I just changed that policy. That's, that, that may be oversimplifying it a bit, but is it really? Because that's accurate. To a certain extent, it is very accurate. And, and they got motivated to – they had an issue. They had egg on their face over um, how they handled, more importantly, the perception of how they handled the Ray Rice investigation. And, and they had to come out with something that they thought was going to be more consistent um, uniform, and that's where they came up with the personal conduct policy, which they took their time in crafting and everything and worked with their advisors and legal counsel on how you're going to do this and what's going to work best for the league. But the argument could have been made by, by, by the union that this is something that you had to collectively bargain over with the union, and well, you, can't, you, you can't unilaterally do it. You, you would think, Cam. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe that when we were talking about it and you told me that it, I, I would just assume that that would be part of it, right? I mean, it, it, here you are, the NFLPA versus the NFL and you're setting up your labor agreement. You would take all these things into account. I mean, it's a massive undertaking and, and the sports fans don't typically understand that because we don't care. We want to eat chicken wings and, and drink beer and watch football. That's and play our fantasy team and 
you know, for the people involved in that world, they want to bet their money on it and all that type of stuff, and that's that's all they want from it. But you would think that this would have came to be in negotiations, but no. Well, I mean, the NFL took the position they didn't have to negotiate it over it, that they had it as part of their management rights clause. They had the ability to unilaterally implement this policy. The union could have challenged it, and it would have been – I'm not saying the union would have won that issue, but they could have gone through the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board process, and ultimately get a potentially a trial on it and have the National Labor Relations Board make a call, yay or nay, on did it require collective bargaining before it could be implemented, or could they do it unilaterally? But, you know, you look back at the, you know, the last collective bargaining agreement, um, you know, it's you start thinking about it, and it's just like Twitter, all this stuff is in its infancy, if it's, even if it existed back then. Right. And so you had... The history of players doing things that they should not have been doing and their treatment of women in particular. But it was how do you prove it? And in the old days, 10 years ago, <laughs> the way technology <laughs> is going, it, 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 it typically came down to and he, he said, she said. And you, it was very at times very difficult to go, go proof. Now, with the advent of technology, you look at the Ray Rice case. Why was that so compelling? Because you have the technology now for security cameras to, see to be video. crystal clear. Right. It's this not just a fuzzy, grainy thing. This is crystal clear. And the same thing with, you know, everybody walks around with a radio or a TV station in their hand in, in, in the form of their, um, you know, is it an iPhone, Samsung, whatever it is, you know, just like what we're doing. You know, you have the ability to reach, you have the ability to capture audio and video in a way that becomes the evidence. Sure. And so this is in part why things have exploded um, with with um, the 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 advent of that technology, and so um, it became an issue when I don't think it was on anybody's radar screen, and they were going through the labor fight um, now six years ago, seven years ago, that this personal conduct and article, what's now Article Forty Six, and the commissioner's discipline was really an issue. Uh, they had a lot of other things they had to worry about. Well, that's just another log on the fire of the next labor agreement for the NFLPA and, and stuff that's getting ready as they have told their players, which we talked about in episode number six of the Straight Cash Homie podcast, buckle up <laughs> because when that when that labor agreement comes up, buckle up, no question about it. You're listening to Straight Cash Homie podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. All you got to do, search Straight Cash Homie, H-M, or excuse me, H-O-M-I-E, and click subscribe, and you are in there. The Straight Cash Homie podcast with Neil Rule and Cameron Evans is brought to you by the Evans Law Group. Attorneys who have the ability to align excellent legal knowledge with sharp business savvy provide real value to their clients. Dedicated to assisting businesses with their employment and labor law issues, the Evans Law Group provides real value to their clients. Perhaps this is why U.S. News and World Report recognizes the Evans Law Group as one of the best law firms in the United States for the ninth straight year and has recognized its founder, Cameron Evans, as one of the top lawyers in America in the field of employment law. To learn more, visit them on the web at www.evanslawgrp.com. Com. So, Cam, talking about this personal conduct policy, and, and, of course, this is all the rage in the sports media, we're, we're hitting you with a good twofer here today on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. We're giving you your money's worth. There's no doubt about that. The national anthem 
and the kneeling, and, and I don't want to get – this isn't the the straight politics homie podcast. This is a straight cash homie podcast, which, you know, oftentimes politics and cash are, are hand in hand, but we're not going to get into that here. But what I do want to get into, this was an area I, I felt that we could tackle this, and no matter what side of the fence you're on on that issue, there are certain implications that, that are – we're going to find out what the results are of it talking of this this personal conduct policy that seemed to be pulled out of thin air by the National Football League. We're going to see that in action again coming up. Talk with the owners about there could be consequences for anybody that kneels during the National Anthem. Cam, from a legal perspective, the legal implication of kneeling during the National Anthem, we haven't heard, at least I haven't heard anything cut and dry I haven't heard anything that that's cut and dry about what's going to happen, but with that being said, what are some of the you know speculate a little on your end if you could? How do you see this shaking out from a legal perspective? Yes, don't don't think there's going to be much legally over this issue, even though the not the NFP, NFLPA, a different union, has filed an unfair labor practice charge against the Dallas Cowboys over Jerry Jones' statements. Right. Um, and, and and there's two reasons here. One is that you're not dealing with a government as the employer. So if you work for the government, you have some First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And the government can't do certain things in the public employment sector. without uh, they, and, and, and they can't do it because at some point they'll cross the line and violate an employee's First Amendment rights. Sure. NFPA or the NFL, it's private. And so there's no First Amendment rights here from the employee standpoint to say we can go and protest something, which we got to get into. Why are they protesting or or what are they protesting now as you're looking at the larger group of of players? Um, And so that's not a real issue. Um, Private employers, if you know, they can take actions against the employees who they think are, um, you know, Engaging Detriment, in detrimental, mis- to detrimental their- misconduct, you, right. insubordination. I mean, you can kind of get into it. The one exception of what the union down in uh, Texas did when they filed the NLRB charge against the Dallas Cowboys is they're arguing that uh, under Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, two or more employees can get together and engage in what's called concerted activity uh, regarding terms and conditions of employment. So you think about the Tampa Bay Bucks and the MRSA um, situation they had down there with a lot of you know w- with <laughs> a very dangerous virus going around um, health-wise in the locker room. Um, you know if you're going to go and protest health and safety, that's a term and condition of their work, and you could be able to, you could engage in some type of concerted activities. But here, this all started by Kaepernick. Had sure. nothing to do with terms and conditions of employment. He was out making a statement about something else that was very important to him. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very important to a lot of people in the United States. That has very broad implications. They just did not tied into the NFL arena. And so you look at it and it's like, well, it's not really concerted activity. It's not in any way connected with terms and conditions of employment. So ultimately, you think that if the NFL is going to come out and be able to say, guess what? You have to stand during the anthem, then that's going to be something that um, not going to be much legal action, at least successful legal action, over. And uh, right now, though, I mean, so in the uh, in the game operation 
manual, which is different than the collective bargaining agreement. And he dresses. I, I, love, I love it, Cam. Here you go. How do you wear your socks? How do you wear your pants? Which how, has come under fire in the past. It's yeah. All this stuff. And it's, it's 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 how do you handle game balls? Sure. Brady, this all comes back to the game operation manual. And that manual currently says that players um, should be at attention. That standing just needs to be at attention during the national anthem. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to get more clarity. Cause we're going to find out. You know, Goodell's, you know, you got, got the owners meeting next week in New York. Um, they have reached out and they have invited um, the head of the NFLPA along with player reps to also attend the owners meeting to talk about the anthem issue. And why are they talking about the anthem issues now? Because the perception is that it's causing them problems. And I, I don't know if people are staying away from NFL games because of the protest. I don't know if the ratings are down because of the protest. I have no clue. All I know is that is it is a big enough issue that the NFL says we have to come to an understanding. And I don't think the NFL wants to see what happened two weeks ago happen again where you have owners out there um, kneeling before the anthem with the players and it becoming a complete distraction from the actual game that's being played right and they think that it is a distraction that's negative you know they have no problem they think it's going to help the game but it's a it's a it's a it's something that they believe is harming the image of the game right now or the image of the league and it needs to be dealt with and um you know i think they'll come up with a with a with a resolution and um yeah i assume it's going to be that you're going to be standing at attention but you know does that mean that you know you're not going to see people will put their fist up if they're standing. It, it may not end here. And what's disrespectful to the flag for one person may not be disrespectful. It may be very patriotic because you're standing up for things that you believe in that sure. you are allowed to stand up for in a country that has the freedoms and liberties that we have in the United States where you don't have those in other countries. Um, and so it, I, I don't think it's going to go away. I think we're going to have more clarity of where the NFL stands on it because right now they've been – hands off for to, to to the you know for the most part and sure for the most part but from a legal standpoint it is just in that the NFL it's their organization it's their quote unquote company and you will you will do what we say or we have the right to not employ you anymore exactly there are, there you have an employer and an employee use a collective bargaining agreement that talks about a lot of things and you look at Kaepernick, you know, I'm not a GM. I'm not going to sit here and evaluate talent. Right. But you have to ask the question, and I think it's a very valid question. If he had not started this, would he be? I think think that's pretty safe to say. In at least in a training camp on a 90-man roster. Of, Of one of 30 teams. Exactly. Now, maybe he doesn't make it. Maybe his salary is too out of whack. Whatever. But you have but to. But just think. watch a Cleveland Browns game. If if you, <laughs> I'm just saying, just watch a Cleveland Browns game and and look at the amount of quarterbacks. But that's my point, Cam. Is this whole thing has become that powerful, that that much of a powder keg? In that, if you're Colin Kaepernick, I think it's pretty clear he's one of the 60 best quarterbacks in the United States of America. I, I don't think I'm climbing on on a limb. I. You, as you said, I'm not Italian. I'm not Italian evaluator either. Either, but come on, 
He's one of the 60 best quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, then, and then, that, and then you're now you're assuming that you're only going to have two on a team. Sure. I'm thinking even broader, like training camp. Three, yeah, okay, 90. Because usually they have a third-string quarterback. You have a third-string quarterback. Now, Sometimes you have four on yeah. a team during training camp because you just need a body in now, there. Now I will double down on that and go, okay, say I'm wrong. He's not one of the top 60. He is one of the top 90 quarterbacks in the United in the world. He is. Yeah. You, you will never convince me of that, that he's not. And and maybe, you know, he'd come in and he, and he would demand too much money for somebody who ultimately see would be going to be your number two. Okay, make a business decision, but sure. it, it is um, it is interesting to say the least. And as I said, this is why the question needs to be asked. Don't know what the answer is, but it needs to be asked: is why hasn't he seen the light of day since he was released? Um, and did this have something to do with it? Is there collusion going on amongst the owners? Don't know. The owners might say, "Guess what? I don't want the headache that's going to come come along with it." You think about you know what what happened when Michael Vick resigned. Sure. In the league. But guess what? Michael Vick, who um, <laughs> was convicted. Right. <laughs> did his time. Did bad, jail time. Did jail time and all the stuff that he did mm-hmm. um, was back on the playing field. And right. He was back on a roster. And you have to say, and you know, you look at signed it. And a, go, signed a $100 million contract. It, in in that neighborhood, I don't know the specific numbers. I, I can't remember. recall. It, but it was a, it was a massive contract that he signed. Yeah, and so you know you, you you look at the other people who have found their way back into it, and as I said, you know that that, that Kaepernick has not um, at least been offered something by a team. I mean, he would reject it. That's not good enough. I don't want it. I sure. only want to come in if you're going to tell me I'm 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 the starter. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he's going to say. But you know you you don't even have those out there that you know. The Baltimore Ravens or whoever—I'm just throwing that name out there. You know, you know, had uh, discussions with him uh, and his agent, his representative, and had made a you know like an offer that he rejected. and He didn't want to come in. So it's uh, it's as I said, and it's not going to go away, and it's certainly not going to go away because um, we have a president um, who is going to keep this in a in the focal point um, because he has his teeth in it, and you, and again. Agree or disagree, we're not here for that. Yeah. But it's going to be something that's going to, um, you know, be put out there by somebody who is a lightning rod um, and able to get movement. And part of this is certainly because he's made a deal of he's made an issue of this. Sure, you're absolutely right. And this is something, as you said, it's certainly not over. One other thing that's not over: the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. We will be back for another episode as well. Cam, as always, appreciate it. You brought the thunder here today. You made me smarter, which is a a big challenge, but you pulled it off here today. Always a pleasure. Look forward to episode number eight. Episode number eight, that's right. We'll be coming up very shortly. So, again, subscribe, folks. That's what I'm telling you to do. It's the best sports cash talk show that's going right there. It's it's definitely the best sports cash podcast that's going on. I will say that uh, unequivocally. There's no doubt about it. He is Cameron Evans. Follow him on Twitter at Cameron underscore J underscore Evans of the Evans Law Group, our proud sponsor here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast and of Pivotal Sports Management. My name is Neil Rule. Follow me on Twitter at Neil Rule, N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L as always. And as always, thank you all for listening. See you next time on the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Well, see you later.